Hi there. A quick message before we start. Don't forget that you can save money this winter when you book your ski hire at intersupportrent.com and use the code SKIPODCAST. You'll get a guaranteed discount for all ski hire in France, Austria and Switzerland. And to make it even simpler, you don't even need to use that code. Just take the link in the show notes and your basket will automatically be reduced. So if you want to support the Ski Podcast, remember to book your ski hire within support and to use the code Ski Podcast or take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode 173 of the Ski Podcast and thanks for joining us, listener. Today we're going to be discussing backcountry in Scotland, the free ride world tour in Verbier and Pays de Gex in France. And before we move on, I'd just like to mention the Sports Podcast Awards. Thanks to you, listener, if you voted for us. It's a very small chance if you're listening to this podcast uh, that you can still vote for us because voting closes on the uh, 6th of April, but we're in the wilderness category. We've been shortlisted in there. Uh, sadly, no winter sports uh, category uh, anymore. So if you're one of the first people to listen to this podcast uh, tomorrow, hopefully when I release it on the uh, 6th of April, uh, then there's still a chance to vote for us at sportspodcastawards.com. Now, my name's Ian Martin. I'd like to introduce my guest today. I'm delighted to welcome back ski journalist Catherine Murphy, who was last on the show in episode 99. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Ian. Thanks for having me. But from the sounds of it, you've been everywhere. So it's a very long season for you. Just remind us where you're joining us from uh, today. Oh, well, I'm, I've, my ski season finished two days ago. I was in the Three Valleys at the moment. I'm in uh, Catalonia. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> uh, we're also joined for the first time by instructor and filmmaker George Treble. Hi, George. How are you? Hello, Ian. Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, remind me where you are today, George. I'm in Morzine, French Alps. We're coming towards the end of the season now. We're you know in early April. How's it looking in Morzine just now? Um, in Morzine, there's not much snow left, but up in Avoyaz, it's, it's surprisingly good, actually. It's uh, cold and um, sunny and there's loads of snow. So surprisingly, it's pretty good. Excellent. That's really good to hear. And finally, also with us today, we have multi-sports instructor and founder of British Backcountry, Blair Aitken. How are you, Blair? Excellent. Thanks, Ian. I can see from the video you're sitting in your car right now. Whereabouts are you? Um, near Aviemore, edge of the northern Cairngorms. Right. Okay. And are you still uh, out on the mountain? Have you been doing any skiing today? Um, not today. Day off today. We've uh, just come off the back of four days of um, leading groups in the Northern Cairngorms. Some bike and ski trips and some steep skiing in the gullies. Excellent. Well, we're going to be talking about steep skiing in the gullies a little bit later on when we talk about the film that yourself and George made called Ten in a Weekend. Uh, Catherine, you mentioned you just been out in uh, the Three Valleys. I take it that was the last time you were on skis, was it? Yep, that was I think two days ago was my last morning on skis. Yeah, so where were it was you? superb. We were staying in Lisbon Weir, and we on the last day we skied Valterons and around the Three Valleys. Um, I was there to ski the Enduro race, which was unfortunately cancelled due to weather conditions. But uh, we had a great time. The snow conditions were absolutely superb, so we had a great time. Excellent. Um, George has already told us about skiing in Avoriaz. Blair, w- what is the situation for skiing at the moment in Scotland? It's still possible. Um, for ski touring, yes, um, there is um, lift serve skiing at Cairngorm, but it's very limited. They've just had the Brits, though. They spent a huge amount of time getting some terrain park open, uh, features opened. Um, so that's excellent, uh, but it's all on top of the mountain. So it's basically either um, hike or bike in, long approaches, and then there's some terrific conditions on top. 
um, or yeah, the limited conditions at the top of the train at Cairngorm. Excellent. Well, we do have a lot of snow still out in the Alps, as Catherine referred to. It's been snowing quite heavily last weekend, and so we have a few snow reports to uh, catch up with. Uh, we've got Dave Burrows reporting from Glacier 3000, uh, Andy Butterworth from Kaluma Travel from St Anton, Rob Reese out in the Aosta Valley, and Simon Burgess reports from Andermatt. Hello, Ian. Hope you're well. It's Dave Burrows from Snow Pro Ski School. Um, just got back from uh, a day trip to Glacier 3000 in Switzerland. Um, Glacier 3000 is sort of sits on a glacial plateau, if you like. It's pretty flat, um, or some parts of it are pretty flat, but I actually found some amazing skiing there. So it's been quite um, a big storm sort of weather system that's gone through the last few days, and the wind has switched around to, to come from the northeast. And what that means is Glacier 3000 was shut for the, over the course of the weekend. Today was the first day that it opened, and there were sort of fresh tracks everywhere, powder, the piece were in amazing condition. And the as you might get from the name, Glacier 3000 is located at sort of 3,000 metres altitude, and the majority of the skiing is sort of between two and three thousand meters and and actually the conditions up there and the sort of you know the clothing and the layers i had to put on was more like sort of january conditions it was absolutely amazing um i'm back now at my house in valdelier and the the snow line sort of in this valley is up sort of creeping up towards about i don't know two thousand meters or something like that um but actually the weather's set fair for for this week so there's still some decent skiing um to be had for those who are prepared to go and seek it um you know, a lot of people have the impression that the ski season is done by the end of, of, of March, but actually there's, you know, there's still some good, good conditions around. Although as I look in the garden here, all the flowers are coming out and it sort of very much feels like springtime. So, um, yeah, you kind of have to go high for it and you have to do probably some at the lower lying resorts, you'd have to do your skiing in the morning. But while the, uh, the temperatures overnight are, are freezing, which they are this week, um, there's still some, some good conditions to be had. Hi Ian, hi everyone. It's Andy over in St Anton doing... What will probably be the last snow forecast of the season on April's Fool's Day. After a phenomenal first three weeks of March, the sun was out. People had pretty much topped up their towns and putting the skis away and getting the sun lounges out. The last week or so has made a huge U-turn and surprised everybody, I think. It started just before the weekend. We got some, some rain and signs of a cold front coming in. Um, over the weekend, last Saturday, Sunday... Monday, it started to snow, and snow really quite heavily. Um, and probably in the last five to six days, it's put down um, well over 80 centimetres to a, to a metre of snow up on the top of the mountain. Um, sadly, the temperatures have been quite, um, been fluctuating quite a lot. So lower down, like resort level, 1,300, 1,400 metres, it's been um, some nasty rain, actually, and quite a bit of wind. Up high has been huge amounts of snow um, for this time of year, which has been great um, for extending the season everyone as I said was pretty much ready um, for the summer to come but this last week has turned everything around but more importantly kind of looking forward um, to the Easter the full Easter break and going into the Easter weekends the forecast is for lovely sunshine so with the the new covering of snow certainly high up um, skiing down to 1800 meters at like sort of St Christoph level into Zurs um, currently snowing very heavily in Lech um, as well, the whole of the Alberg regions enjoyed another another good old sort of Easter dump of snow. So this is definitely going to set us on track. Certainly, pisted skiing until the you know way way towards the end of the season, which is the twenty third, twenty fourth of April this year. 
So um, off the piste, I think we can pretty much forget it. Um, there's been too much wind and too much rain in various places. But on the piste, the piste skiing is really, really quite lovely. And with the good conditions coming up, the sun coming out, I can imagine there's going to be a lot of people getting the touring skis and really enjoying the, uh, some of the, the safer backcountry with the, with the skins on and, and getting out and really enjoying the nature. Um, so let's hope that continues. Like I said, the sun coming out. Um, the weather's going to turn, turn again in the next couple of days and we're looking forward to a lovely spring-like April. Hope everyone's managed to enjoy their skiing wherever they've been this season um, and certainly hope to see everybody back out on the slopes come, come next December. Cheers, everyone. All the best. Bye. This is Rob Reese reporting from the Aosta Valley in northwest Italy, just the other side of the Mont Blanc Tunnel. Um, been skiing various resorts in the valley this past week. Very good snow depths in all resorts, and I would particularly recommend a visit to La Tuile or the Monterosa ski area. Um, there's been snow, fresh snow, a lot of fresh snow on both Friday and Saturday. And the temperatures have been holding quite uh, cold over the weekend. So you won't get better, more dreamlike powder or um, great empty piece. Aosta Valley is accessible via Turin Airport. And uh, get yourselves out here for some superb Easter spring skiing. It's been absolutely quite a remarkable week road tripping around this area. Hi, Ian. Simon here, out in Andermatt doing some filming for the end of the season. What can I say? Conditions have been absolutely fantastic. But more than that, it's dead quiet out here. There is no one about on peace and it is absolutely gorgeous sunshine. Yesterday, up at the Gemstock, enjoying over 1,500 metres of vertical descent, the piece were in absolute brilliant nick all the way down to the village. And this morning, off, and I'm sorry for the pronunciation here, Shehunestock, the piece again are absolutely fantastic. Further over towards Tadron and Decentis, it gets a bit slusher, especially in the afternoon. But honestly, for Easter skiing, no complaints can be had. Wishing everyone a good end to the season. Thank you very much. Uh, the ski podcast is sponsored by Le Travelé. It's the largest ski area in the world. Uh, regular listeners will have heard my chat with Tom and Olivier uh, in episode 172 about uh, Le Travelé Enduro. Sadly, as Catherine mentioned, that event was uh, cancelled uh, due to the uh, bad weather that was forecast for that particular day. But there are still some great events coming up in Le Travelay between now and the end of the season. You've got Alexis Pantro's Winter Legacy uh, event coming up this weekend in uh, Courcheval. And also an event I took part in last year called the uh, Dina Star uh, Times 3 or X3 uh, Triathlon. That's quite an unusual event. You actually cycle quite significant from around Bazel up to uh, 1850 then you do a trail run around 1850 and then you ski tour from 1850 up to Salia I really really enjoyed that event I'll put a link to the show notes uh, for my report uh, and it but if you fancy doing it it's on the 16th of uh, April this year I think and skiing will continue in Le Tavale assuming snow conditions last which they look like they will do uh, towards the end of April and Val Torrenzo will be open until the 8th of May so a lot of skiing uh, to do there but let's move back to the UK again, we were talking about, you know, big mountains in Europe. And you mentioned, uh, Blair, some of the, the gullies and the, uh, the top of the mountain skiing in Scotland. Now, I really wanted to have you two on the show, yourself and uh, George, not only because you have so much experience of skiing the backcountry in Scotland, but I particularly wanted to talk to you about a movie uh, that I saw called Ten in a Weekend. It is a absolutely brilliant film. 
uh, and I recommend all of our uh, listeners to to watch it. It's only about ten or fifteen uh, minutes long, but it really gives you such an insight into what options there are for kind of steep and challenging skiing in uh, Scotland. Uh, Blair, I wonder if it, if I could uh, start with you. What what inspired you to put this film together? Um, it was actually my business partner's idea. Um, we had done um, several of the descents already, um, and Gavin Carruthers wanted to try and put it together uh, into a little film. He wanted to sort of document them. Um, and I, I just, we both work as teachers Monday to Friday, didn't have enough time to do it. So I just said, well, look, this fits into a weekend just. It'll be horrendous, but it's possible. Do you just want to clarify what the 10 are? What are we talking about, 10 in a weekend? So the idea was to ski the 10 highest mountains in the United Kingdom um, in one weekend. So so it fits into your working week. So you can finish work on a Friday. You, well, we do a half day um, and ski Ben Lors, which is separate from the others, and then go up to Ben Nevis and ski Ben Nevis, Carmon Derg, um, Annick Beg, Annick Moore. Then you have to move over to the East Coast and you have to ski uh, what we call the Cairngorm 4000ers, 4000 foot mountains. And that is Breareach. The Angels Peak, Cairn Tool, Ben McDewey, and Cairngorm. Um, the difficulty is trying to fit it in and get some sleep. There's very little time for sleep, but it does work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just about got away with it. You know, doing regular jobs and managing to ski these uh, 10 peaks uh, in a weekend. Just out of interest, you mentioned Ben Laws. It happens to be a place that uh, I know because. Back in my uh, kind of family history, uh, my grandfather had a sheep farm in uh, just around Killin, and my mum learnt to ski on Ben Laws. They'd go up in a tractor and then uh, ski down uh, afterwards. Probably not the same face that you went uh, on, I would guess. Uh, George, can I ask you a question then? You, you are obviously not based in Scotland. You're based out in France in Morzine, but you were the cameraman for this. Is that right? That's right, yeah. I can't actually claim to have any uh, experience about skiing in Scotland this was my one and only weekend that I've ever skied in Scotland well it was very impressive uh, I mean I know you were in a couple of the features uh, I think but in terms of being able to film it did you were you able to do a lot of planning in advance you're using fat maps quite a lot to plan a plan your routes right uh yes well that that was most the route was mostly in um Blair and Gavin's head and then I had an idea of what what it was going to look like from fat maps but it was um it was more a case of me just trying to keep up and pointing cameras at them and and filming on site and um yeah i didn't didn't have a great idea of what to expect until i got there <laughs> and you never know what conditions you're going to get as well it struck me uh blair that the uh, conditions looked uh Pretty good, although uh, mixed. I mean, I know you had to work out to fit it in for a specific uh, weekend, and it was around this time last year. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, first of all, just going back to what you just asked George, he's been far too modest. When we were thinking about who we could get to film this, there was very few people because they have to need they need to be able to ski this terrain, they need to be able to move fast, and they need to be able to film and carry the equipment. So there's a few guys here in Scotland. There's Brody Hood. There's Hamish Frost. And, there, you know, and I was thinking it'd be really good to get somebody who sees this from the outside who hasn't experienced Scotland, because I think when you hear George's narration, it's actually very helpful that he's the, the person looking in on what we're doing. If we tried to tell that story, we'd tell it in a way, assuming a lot of things. 
So for me, it was um, George was the ideal candidate. He's incredibly fit. He was carrying, oh God, twice the weight of what we had. Um, so quite an achievement. Um, sorry, but the, the conditions were, it depends what you mean. The, the conditions were safe. The cornices had come down. The, the snow was spring transformed snow. However, um, two weeks before, we also had snow on the approach. Um, there was no snow on the approach at all. So this was like a hill walking, scrambling, kind of climbing trip with the steep lines um, skiable. So for me, it was I was really disappointed to be bringing George over when it wasn't looking as good as I know it can look. However, I think it actually shows you um, quite typical end of season Scottish conditions where the steep lines, the north facing lines still hold snow and everything else is green. Um, and it also means that you have uh, a, a very varied skill set to make the trip work, um, which is what I like about Scotland as well. You mentioned uh, the, the physical challenge and it helped that George was fit. From watching the film, it was pretty clear that you had to do a lot of work to be able to to get to those different points, but also from the ski out point as well to get back to your car at different points. And you still had, you, you, you'd done the hike up, you'd done the ski and you still had a hike to get back to the car and get going again. Yeah, I mean, two weeks before these these skis would have been, these sorry, these walks, a lot of them would have been traverses. Um, you know, it's so different when you can't just zoom, zoom around, you know, and then walk a short distance to the car park. When you're walking out from the bottom of these steep lines, it just adds so much time to the day. And George, you, um, so you were being pretty modest there about the filming side of things, but it, it looked to me like quite a lot of it was a shot with the, uh, with the help of a, a drone. Is that something that you use on a regular basis? Um, I have done a lot of filming skiing with a drone in the past, but it was a new challenge in Scotland. Um, it's pretty windy. Um, a lot of the ridges that we were stood on were, were very windy and there was clouds coming in and out. And um, sometimes there was like moist clouds as well. So the drone was getting wet. So I didn't actually get that many shots with the drone. A lot of it was just using uh, GoPros and actually um, Blair's iPhone got a lot of the good shots on it. Um, it wasn't high production value. It was more telling telling the storyline. For sure. Well, uh, in a recent episode, we were discussing action cameras. And one of the points that Chris Moran was making is that your iPhone uh, these days can give you images uh, just as good as you can get from a, a regular action camera or GoPro, uh, etc. Um, Blair, you mentioned fitting everything in and getting enough sleep at the same time. What time did you actually finish on that second day or what time did because you had to get back to edinburgh to go to work the next day yeah um i'm very fortunate i work for outdoor learning so i'm a teacher of outdoor learning and my, my colleagues understand when you do these sort of things um but uh, i did get sent back to my van to sleep because i was absolutely useless uh, <laughs> fortunately i wasn't teaching on the monday but it was a planning and preparation day and you know i wasn't contributing <laughs> anything to any meetings that day so my boss just said no, just go go lie down well, um, I, I think I, probably yeah. when he when he saw the movie afterwards, he'll appreciate it. You know what an amazing uh, when she saw the movie yeah. afterwards, she'd appreciate uh, what a great achievement uh, it was. It looked um, as well as being you know physically uh, demanding. There were some some beautiful pitches, some really good uh, runs uh, coming down. It was a real joy to uh, watch, and I think George, you know, I think that's a tribute to the way you edited it. Uh, and the narration that you add to it as well. I think there was one point, would it be uh, the East Gully, where it, it sounded particularly windy and looked very cold? Yeah, that was Breirik, wasn't it, Blair? I think that was when the, the cloud was coming in and out. It was 
that that was a Sunday. So on this on the Saturday we had blue skies, and then the Sunday we had clouds coming in and out. So it's one moment you can see uh, the the mountains in the distance, and then the next moment you can't really see twenty yards in front of you. So um, yeah, that that gully was particularly uh, stormy when it when it came in. Yeah, and there's a, there's one particular uh, segment in the film which is pretty kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of sort of shocking to uh, watch. I mean, it's extremely striking uh, visually, which I think is called uh, Angel's Face and is the, uh, the, the cover uh, photo. Blair, do you just want to explain what's, what's happening and, uh, and, you know, once you get into it, why you change your mind about this ridiculous position you're in? Yeah, I mean, I, I had in my mind that um, we could we could film this with a drone. Um, I just had this image because it's a pyramid-shaped peak, and it's very steep, so you film anything face-on, it just looks even steeper. Um, so I really wanted to capture it. Uh, but it's one of these ones that you can get all the way in there, and it's a long way in, it's very remote, um, and it can not be in condition, so it's quite frustrating. But I, I wanted to give it a go. So I'd skied it the year before, and I'd skied it in the similar snow. I'd actually, I'd actually been on there on my own, and it was just an amazing experience. One of the, my best experiences of skiing in Scotland. It felt alpine. It's a big, long face. You know, as long as you'd like, as you'd want it to be, your legs are burning at the bottom. I couldn't have done more turns. So I was just buzzing the year before when I did it. And I thought, I've got to get these back, guys back there. It's part of the part of the route. It's part of the 4,000ers. We were trying to ski a line off every mountain. So it made sense to try this one. But there's no way I'm going to take a group down there unless I know for sure it's safe. Um, so yes, we, you know, I abseiled in on a on a rad line. Um, so it was a lightweight rope we were carrying. Um, and yeah, I got down to a, a narrow section. Snow was good, everything looked good, but it just it's one of these things where I wasn't sure of the depth. And in a pin binding, if you're going to be doing a jump turn and you're breaking through the snow and you hit a rock underneath, it takes the binding off. Then you know you're in a lot of trouble. And also, I had three other people behind me, so you know I had to make a call for everybody really um because it was blind when they went over uh so no no i just didn't feel right um you know george still got some incredible shots but uh yeah it was basically a 20 20 uh meter abseil rather than a ski descent so that one's um still to be documented properly and um hopefully we'll do it justice one day yeah well when you look at it when you look at it uh listener it is extremely uh striking and i think you talk about being modest about going over a uh uh, what did you say, a 20-metre uh, descent when you can't see over the edge. Uh, George, do you want to contribute something about that? Yeah, just especially that moment when we were filming was was when the clouds were, were coming in and out. Um, so the shot that I've actually got was a, a five-second window of when I could see Blair, and then the rest of that three minutes of footage is just complete and utter whiteout. So that made the whole, uh, whole experience a little bit more intimidating as well. So we were quite... Um, not that disappointed to be going down the, the more friendly option that we took instead. Uh, yeah, and one of the problems with this is the drone batteries, you know, certainly that generation of drone, you know, you've got big heavy batteries and you and you run out. So you've got to decide where you're going to use your drone batteries. So by the end of the film, I think we were basically down to an iPhone, weren't we, George, to, to get food <laughs> yeah. because we burned all the batteries and all the different cameras. Yeah, I probably wasted huge amounts of George's battery messing around trying to decide if I was going to ski that or not. So, <laughs> Well, you know, li- listener, I highly uh, recommend it. Just as a, it's really beautifully put together. It's not going to take up a, a lot of your time, but it presents uh, Scotland and, uh, and British backcountry uh, particularly well and really uh, shows you there's a lot of uh, you know steep challenging skiing around the place and 
I mentioned British backcountry just then, Blair. I mean, you mentioned that you run this business uh, with your your partner, uh, Gav Carruthers. Do you just want to give us a, a, an insight into what that is? Uh, I I worked in the in the Alps for a number of years. I ran a ski school in Val d'Isère, um, and I got really into ski touring. Um, ended up being most of the work I did was, was ski touring the last couple of years. And when I came back to Scotland, I, I, I really wanted to see if I could do a similar thing here. I knew we had the terrain. I'd done a lot of spring touring here. Um, and I like the idea of people, I know not everybody can get up here as easily as others, but certainly in Scotland, there's, the mountains are accessible. So I, I just like the idea of people being able to develop the skills and learn about ski touring close to home and not having to fly abroad. Um, so we started to deliver courses, um, skills courses initially to get Alpine skiers skilled up so they could go ski touring. Um, also, a lot of uh, walker, winter walkers and mountaineers wanted to learn about skiing because it helps with the, the, the traveling in the mountains in the winter. So it started um, sort of catering for those two people. And then more and more people came back year after year. So we started to create more adventurous programs like our steeps and gullies that we've just done this last couple of days. Um, and combining it with other activities like the, the mountain biking ski trips where we bike in somewhere that's quite remote and then do a ski tour from there. So it's, yeah, it's been fantastic. It means I can get to do the sort of skiing that I like to do um, and also share that with other people and upskill other people as well to sort of open that door. Um, and of course, a lot of our clients will then go off to the Alps and um, with experience of using the equipment and a lot of transferable skills. Um, but equally, a lot of people are eyes are open to the fact that, you know, you can do this activity in Scotland. There's a little bit of effort involved, but there's also a little bit of effort involved in getting out to France or getting out to Switzerland. So uh, for me, like, you know, walking into the Cairngorms uh, is actually easier than getting on a plane to Geneva and transfer to wherever I'm going, you know. So uh, it just depends, uh, how you know, what sort of effort you want to put in, but it's definitely worth it. Um, I mean, the number of points you make there, uh, one of the other points is that uh, obviously you don't necessarily have to get on a flight and fly to Europe. You can actually still enjoy some of that, uh, not just the ski touring, but just the experience of being um, away from it all in, let's call it, you know, wilderness uh, and being able to experience nature uh, without actually leaving uh, your own uh, country. We've talked quite a lot about ski touring on the podcast, uh, you know, historically. And one of the things that's often cropped up is that there's been a, a real um, burst of interest in ski touring uh, post-COVID. You know, when ski resorts were closed or when the lifts were closed, let's say, people are doing a ski touring around the UK. I and mean, we've talked about, you know, skiing in Wales and in England and in Scotland. Have you seen that? Do you think there's a trend there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's not just COVID. Um, it's just the unpredictable winters. Um, you know, ski resorts in Scotland um, are doing a very good job of, of con continuing to operate. Um, but the what's happening is you're seeing the, the beginners and intermediate slopes. Um, you know, they're they're making snow for those uh, with snow factories. Um, Cairngorm are fortunate enough to have terrain at the top of the mountain that's quite flat. They keep that going. So what's missing is that when you get to an advanced level. Um, with a few exceptions, some of the stuff in Glencoe is very challenging. Um, it tends to be backcountry skiing, off-piece skiing. That's the only thing I offer. So, yeah, you people are starting to look at moving away from the resorts and being able to follow um, the weather. And, uh, you know, if you look at Scotland as a whole, I'm afraid I don't know a huge amount about England and Wales. I obviously see what, go, what goes on. Um, and it looks terrific when it's in condition. But as for Scotland, you know, you could look to go to the West Coast, the East Coast, maybe even the Northwest if you're very fortunate, or, or the central part of Scotland as well. So you can usually find a good weather window. Um, and hopefully the snow has loaded. Um, you know, we, we tend to follow where the wind puts the snow. Um, and that's not always uh, where the ski resorts are. 
So we can follow the wind and we can think about where the snow has been deposited and we can choose tours appropriate to that. So yeah, it just allows you to continue um, to go skiing and to do challenging terrain um, without, as I say before, without traveling long distances. Yeah, well, I think uh, the, the film that you put together, George and Blair, you know, I really recommend it to uh, listeners. And I think it shows off, you know, what Scotland has to offer. So congratulations on uh, on doing it. And I hope it uh, continues to get uh, lots of views. Uh, you mentioned the snow in Scotland, Blair, can sort of be unpredictable, can vary. But there was one event that did take place in uh, Scotland last weekend. That was a Brit, which took place in uh, Cairngorm. And it was brilliant to see that event back on snow again uh, after COVID and various things have uh, uh, prevented it going ahead. But it was held in uh, Scotland, and I had a, I didn't wasn't able to go up there, but I did have a look at the uh, results, and I noticed there were multiple Olympians who were taking part. I saw Murray Buchan was uh, there, Leslie McKenna. Who, even that uh, she's probably what you might call a veteran uh, now, but I saw that she picked up medals in skiing and in snowboarding, showing off her uh, skills. And also, I was really excited to see that Kirsty Muir uh, turned up. Uh, Kirsty Muir, uh, listeners uh, may know, is uh, Britain's youngest uh, Olympian at the Beijing Winter Olympics. And as it goes, I happened to interview her uh, last week. There'll be a special episode where my interview with Kirsty Muir uh, coming out uh, pretty shortly. And we talk about her X Games medals and uh, her experiences at uh, Beijing. So that should come out in about a week's time. Uh, but that's brilliant, Blair and George. I'm going to move on to Catherine uh, now, if that's okay. Uh, Catherine, you're joining us uh, from Spain now, and you said you're in uh, Les Travelais, but previously uh, you were out in Pay de Gex, and I was interested in this when we were talking about it, because I think listeners are always interested in finding out more about ski areas that they probably maybe haven't heard of and certainly don't know so much about. So I wondered if you could just start off by telling us where that is. Yes, Ian, uh, Pay de Gex, out of all the hundreds of times that I've flown in and out of Geneva Airport to go skiing in Switzerland or France, I had no idea that this place even existed. It's on the French side. It's, 20, it's in France. It's 20 minutes from Geneva Airport. You can literally see the runway in Geneva Airport from the slopes when you're out skiing. So it's an area, it's very natural. I don't like the word authentic, but full of authentic villages. Um, a lot of expats who maybe work in Geneva choose to live in Pédagex because it's cheaper than... Switzerland and it's just a lovely lovely area to discover both in winter and in summer. So we're saying it's just on the north shore of Lake Geneva is that the, the Jura mountain range then right? It's it's yeah it's actually to the south of the the Jura mountains yeah in the N region as far as I know or A in my French pronunci- French pronunciation is terrible so Okay, and what are the resorts there? Where did you specifically go to then? So basically there are four very small compact resorts, one of which is cross-country only, that's La Vate. We didn't actually go there. The other three areas between them have a grand 41 kilometres of peace in. So you've got Crozet Lulex, which is the main area, that's about 20 kilometres of slopes. Then you've got Mijou La Fossile, which is, I think, slightly smaller. And then you have Montier, which is kind of very much beginner family skiing area. The whole area is suitable for, for family skiing. Okay, well, uh, 40 kilometres apiece, it's probably not going to be suitable for everyone. But I I like the idea of a 20 minute transfer is obviously really good. And you said it was, you know, authentic. I know that sometimes that kind of, you know, maybe uh, you hear that about lots of resorts. But what made it authentic to you, that particular area? It's just it's just, as I said, these little stretch of little villages that people are just living 
year round in, I think. Um, we had a lot of local products. Uh, lo there's a local microbrewery, which is great. Um, it's just small, you know, compact ski areas, very pretty tree-lined runs, uh, family-friendly in Miju. And uh, yeah, not, not big and industrial scale ski resort. I think I would compare it to places like the French Pyrenees, the Catalan Pyrenees, or Abruzzo in Italy, which you, you talked about recently. That's the kind of vibe, very local, small ski area, everything easy to get around. Yeah, for sure. Well, you mentioned a, a Roccarazzo that I went to in the Abruzzo uh, during February half term, and that was perfect for a family holiday, slightly uh, larger area, but in terms of budget, you know, much more affordable way to take your yeah. family uh, to go skiing. What sort of altitude are we talking about for these different resorts then? So the skiing takes place between 900 metres and 1,680 metres. Um, I think the highest point in the whole area is 1723 metres, um, So we're talking about mid mid-altitude, mid-level skiing, which is good for families as well. And I think one of the things we're, we're talking about is looking ahead to next season. Um, if you're a family, maybe taking a mid-term break, you don't have to go and spend a week in Pédéjex. You can do three, four, five nights. Um, in, in the very peak season, so mid-term break, February, there is a ski bus that goes between the different resorts. But in low season, there isn't. So you would have to think about hiring a car probably on the French side of Geneva Airport and um, having that car or else making the, the choice just to stay. We stayed in a hotel called the Bois Jolie, three-star hotel, five-minute walk to the lift at Crozet and, you know, right next to the, the ski hire shop. So you could just make the, the choice to ski around that area for a few days. And what time of year were you there? And what was the snow like when you were there? I was there from January the 21st. And as we all know, the French resorts and some of the Alpine resorts had difficulties with snow at the start of the season. So the area had opened for skiing, but they had closed again and then reopened. So they just really reopened when we were there. And uh, actually, we had very cold, windy weather on the first day of skiing. So um, uh, the snow conditions were fine, but just, yeah, we had very cold, very high winds that day. One of the, the gondolas was was closed between Lelex and Crozet. I feel like I'm getting a sense for that type of area. And I think, you know, for example, you mentioned Ski Abruzzo. When we went there, we went for four days. When I took the family to the Pyrenees uh, at half term a few years back, and you can get a sense of where we can afford to go at half term, the Pyrenees, Abruzzo, and possibly paid ejects as well. We also skied for four days uh, then and, you know, went hiking for one of the other days. And, you know, I guess there's probably other non-ski activities you could do there as well. Yeah, lots of activities. We we tried everything. We did the zip line, which costs around about 34 euros per person. We did the uh, sledding on rails, or the luge, and that's nine euros for one to two people. Um, some of the group went snowshoeing at night, snowshoeing at night up to a hut for fondue. I chose to just stay and have a nice meal. And uh, you can also take about a 10-minute drive down to Ferny Voltaire, which is named after the famous French philosopher, to Chateau Voltaire, which is a national monument in France. So that's a nice visit. Or you could take, if the weather's not great, you could go and visit CERN, which is on the French-Swiss border. And that has offers free daily visits if you're interested in the world of physics and um, the universe and all that stuff. We're talking about the place where they discovered the Higgs boson. Exactly, is that right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. okay, yeah. I think your kids kids wouldn't necessarily appreciate that if on their no, more for you were, you were giving them a <laughs> physics lesson. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think some of those activities, yeah, the kids will love obviously the luge and the, uh, the zip line. I think you know, well, it's a great family option for a short break, but also I think for couples, 
There's a lovely five-star hotel called the Jiva Hill. And I think it might be couples that would decide to go to CERN or to um, the Chateau in, in Fernie, Fernie Voltaire. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. Well, that's paid ejects. I'll put a link into the show notes. So, listener, you can find out a little bit more about it. We're just going to move on to, uh, as I guess, a very different kind of uh, area, which is uh, Verbier. The Freeride World Tour final was uh, due to take place uh, just after I'd been in uh, in Verbier, which I reported on the last episode. Sadly, the weather again uh, intervened. It wasn't so much that they had bad weather on the day. It was actually the uh, the Bec de Ross uh, slope where they hold the event. They blasted it in advance to make it safe. And in fact, that blasting took a lot of snow off and it wasn't really feasible to uh, to run the event. Now, we had Jane Shah on location. So let's listen to uh, to her thoughts and a couple of conversations that she had with a uh, multiple winner at Verbier, uh, Rainer Barkered and Nicola Hale-Woods, uh, co-founder of the Freeride World Tour. Hello, welcome to Verbier. I'm standing here at the foot of the incredible Bec de Ross, um, here for the finals of the Freeride World Tour. Uh, thanks to some incredibly unpredictable weather patterns, there was a lot of will they, weren't they, in the days building up to the planned Verbier Freeride World Tour final, um, which was originally scheduled for Saturday 25th of March. Um, after no doubt much debate by officials and several bombings to ensure security on the infamous Beck, the competition was confirmed late Thursday night that it would go ahead on Saturday. But then the weather forecast got worse, announcing a westerly storm with 50 kilometre an hour winds and wet snow. Our nerves were shot watching the ever-changing weather patterns, so I can't imagine how the riders were feeling. Um, for those who don't know, the Bec de Ross is a legendary mountain in Verbier, boasting 600 metres of vertical, a gradient of over 50 degrees in some places, and extremely technical and incredibly rocky terrain. It's been the scene of both glory and tragedy for many of the world's best free riders over the years. This year, for one of the first times in a long time, riders of all categories were planned to drop in from a single start gate just below the summit. Um, the riders all collect, collected at Black Tap, the restaurant at the top of the Jumbo Piste, on Saturday morning. Sadly, hour after hour, the competition was postponed, postponed. They were just waiting for a weather window, which sadly never materialised. Finally, at half past 12, the competition was ultimately postponed and scheduled for Tuesday, which looked like the fantastic weather window of the week. It continued to snow all day Saturday, all day Sunday, most of the day Monday. Woke up on Tuesday morning to an incredible bluebird powder day. Fresh powder, blue skies, sunshine. The beck was looking incredible. Security went up at the start of the day. And after bombing, sadly, at, at 7.30 this morning, we got the message that the whole face had gone. Um, if you look at the pictures, you'll see why they decided it was completely unrideable. Sheer rock, um, big cornices, just impossible. So really, sadly, for all the riders, people who have waited, people who have organized, people who have spent their whole season waiting to ski the back, um, were disappointed. Uh, the prize ceremony has just gone ahead at the foot of the Bec de Ross. Um, champagne, smiles, lots of mixed feelings, um, and everyone planning a few hours of powder skiing before heading off, some to Alaska, some to Engelberg, some back to Sweden, all corners of the world. So it's been, um, been a nerve-wracking freeride world tour final. 
um, for all the wrong reasons. Um, and we wish the riders well for the, for the rest of the season, wherever they're headed. Thank you. This is Jane. Bye-bye. Rainer, the mayor of Stumptown. Mm. This isn't quite the big send-off that was planned. No, How are you no. doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, luckily, they, uh, the organization and the riders and everyone arranged a really nice farewell in the opening ceremony, which was just super overwhelming. And after that, honestly, like this, the actual run became kind of secondary because it felt like such a nice send-off that I could have gone home then. No. But of course, it would have been nice to, to do a final run here. Yeah, I'm sure you'll be back to ride the Beck another time anyway, will you? I don't know. Everyone keeps saying that. And I was like, <laughs> oh, maybe. And I have some weird feeling of it. But it's, it's weird to come back after a send-off like that. But it could have been a send-off from the tour, not from Extreme Verbia. Exactly. You've got to always come back. Yeah. So what are your plans now for the rest of the season? Uh, so now, right now I'm going to Alaska tomorrow mm-hmm. already uh, to meet up with my wife and son. And where she has a movie project. So Brilliant. I'm partially part of. My husband's there as well. He's in Valdez at the moment. Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, looking good. So I'm <laughs> yeah, pretty excited amazing. about that. Long trip, though. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that and then uh, go home. And I have a career in politics, too, that I have to tend to. So. Brilliant. Yeah, so... Um, but yeah, more skiing. All right, brilliant. Well, it's been amazing watching you over the years. So thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, thank you. Take My care. Um, I'm here with Nicola Halewoods at the foot of the Bec de Ross. We've just finished the prize giving. Nicola, I'm sure you've got a thousand thoughts in your head. What would you like to say? Well, <clears throat> I'd like to say that um, the, the spirit is still there. Um, Organizing free ride events means uh, you have to comply with with the nature, the outdoors, and you have to be able to say no um, sometimes. Um, obviously, it's it's hard when it's the final on on Bec de Ross, um, but but that's life. It's the third time we have to cancel in 28 years, um, and that's part of the life of Freeride World Tour. We had an, an excellent season with really really good uh, stops. Uh, Incredible action, great content. Um, the juniors, the qualifiers, everything's booming. Freeride academies. So, so the sport is healthy. And um, I'm disappointed, but I'm also stoked about the general picture. Brilliant. It's nice to have some positivity. I guess that's just the, that's just the game, isn't it, with freeride skiing? It's often harder to say no, to not take the risk and to turn back. So uh, it's the same for the final. Yes, it's the same at every level. From, from pros to, to beginners. And uh, that's a very important message. Um, we, we have to um, minimize risks. We have to know that there are procedures and steps that you need to take. Um, and, and yes, it's difficult to say no, but um, we know the consequences and uh, that's really part of, um, part of our, our world. Yeah, it's security as well as fun, isn't it? Thank you so much for talking to us today and uh, good luck for the rest of the season. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. And Catherine, as part of your uh, you know, recent trip to the Alps, so we go taking the uh, three uh, valleys, you were in Verbier for the Free Ride World Tour, I believe. Is that right? I was. I was there for the the final at the Extreme Verbier, uh, Yeti Extreme Verbier. And, you know, there was a lot of um, speculation as to whether the event would go ahead because of the weather conditions. And I don't think we expected to go ahead, but they did their absolute utmost to make it happen. Um, we got up the mountain early that morning. We spent about four and a half hours in the Black Tap restaurant with the competitors, uh, chatting to them as they waited. I mean, it must have been a huge mental stress for the the various competitors to have not only the, the stress of what they're about to, 
you know, what they're about to do, which is ski the, the Bechter Ross, but also that stress then of waiting to see when the comp will actually go ahead. So originally it was scheduled for the Saturday. The weather conditions were very poor on the Saturday and they pushed it looking for a weather window onto the Tuesday. So you're up yeah. there on the Tuesday. They're trying to decide whether or not it's going to be okay to, to run with it. Is that how that was? No, no, we were actually up on the Saturday for the original the original planned event, yeah, for the original comp. And the weather that morning was kind of white out and very big winds. And they just, they were holding out for this weather, this brief weather of clear, brief window of clear weather, excuse me. Um, and they were going to heli. At one stage, they were talking about heliing the participants. Usually they obviously hike up. Um, so they're going to try and take them up by helicopter. But that just wasn't feasible given the, the conditions. And the weather window never really came to pass. And the problem then was that between the Saturday and Tuesday, there was a lot of snow. So, as you mentioned, in, in blasting the, the, the face, um, it blew a lot of that snow away and it just wasn't, it just wasn't safe. And it was a terrible pity for Riley that you were talking about, the longest serving uh, competitor on the free ride world tour. He didn't get to ride us. He didn't get to, to do the Beck de Ross for the final time. Yeah, but I think the, these guys, you know, like Blair was alluding to uh, earlier, you know, if you're uh, in the high mountains, sometimes you have to make, uh, you know, crucial decisions as to whether something is safe or whether it is not safe. And those are really fundamental. And if you've got a competition such as a free ride world tour, then evidently there's no way that you can uh, do it if, uh, you know, the conditions are uncertain in, in any way. However, Verbier remains, a, you know, an amazing destination for, uh, uh, for off-piste backcountry skiing. Well, we're moving towards the end of the uh, show now. I enjoy all feedback about the show. I'd like to know what you think, listener. If you've got any ideas for features, you can please uh, contact me uh, via social at Ski Podcast or by email to the Ski Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, a great way to review us is via Apple Reviews. I, I believe this helps other people uh, find us. There have been a couple of uh, new reviews recently. Faustian said, uh, brilliant podcast. Love the interview with Ed Lee. Uh, Sassman One says, wholesome, inspiring, addictive. This podcast evokes so many good memories and gets me excited for many more to be made in the mountains. That's great to hear as well. Uh, and Bennett via Facebook uh, said, great podcast. I'm inside Morzine on Instagram said, quite simply, the best out there, which hopefully will be the case when we get to see whether we've won that category in the Sports Podcast Awards. And the Comfortable Spot podcast also said, loved your chat with uh, Ed and the episode about Afghanistan. Uh, so there are now over 170 episodes to catch up with. Uh, when I last checked, 117 have been listened to in the last uh, week. So don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss uh, an episode. And if you do enjoy the pod, you can always buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast. I'd like to say thanks to the anonymous donor who bought me a coffee since our last podcast. Now, our next show will be the special uh, interview with Kirsty Muir. And then after that, we'll have a special show about a National Snow Sports Week, which is coming up in October of this year in the UK. And that'll be combining the uh, a show in Birmingham and a show in London with different events uh, in between. And you can actually get your tickets for that now if you want to. We have a free ticket code, which uh, is Ski Podcast. So if you go to their website, and I'll put a link to show notes, you can get yourself a free ticket for that. Uh, but if you'd like to follow me, follow me at Skipedia and the podcast at the Ski Podcast. But for now, I'd like to thank Les Trois for sponsoring the show and thank my guest today, Catherine. Thanks, Ian. George. Cheers. Yeah, thanks for having me as well. And Blair, thank you. Anytime, Ian. It's a pleasure. Thank you. And finally, listener, thank you for joining us. Until next time, goodbye.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Don't forget that if you want to support the podcast, then remember to book your ski hire with Intersport and use the code SKIPODCAST or simply take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Thanks again and have a great winter.